0: A New York Times critics pick, Western is now playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. The Times' A.O. Scott calls Western beautifully complicated and rigorously straightforward. Western is as precise as a dropped pin on a GPS map, which makes its sense of mystery all the more powerful. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca and I'm the digital producer. Some filmmakers take time to develop their voices. Others arrive fully formed. In her three films, Valeska Griesbach's unique perspective is resoundingly clear. Her latest film, Western, subtly explores the Hollywood genre while also pushing the boundaries of neorealism. In this episode, I was joined by...
1: Dennis Slim,
2: Director of Programming at the Film Society of Lincoln Center.
1: I'm Leo Goldsmith. I'm the co-editor of the film section of the Brooklyn Rail and uh, adjunct professor at NYU and Brooklyn College. And... Dan
3: Sullivan, Assistant Programmer at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and co-editor of the film section
0: of the Brooklyn Rail. To discuss this unique work. And today we're going to be talking about Valeska Griesbach, whose Western is sort of having a moment right now and uh, is the subject of a feature in the new issue of Film Comment. Griesbach is someone who is loosely associated with the even more loosely defined Berlin School. So before we start discussing her work, could someone help me define what the Berlin School is? And is it even really a useful category?
1: Well, it is literally a school. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a school in Berlin, uh, the uh, German uh, film and television Academy of Berlin, um, which uh, Griesbach herself did not go to. Um, she went to a school in Vienna, the name of which is escaping me right the now. Vienna but Film Academy. Not. There we go. Easy <laughs> to
0: remember. <laughs> it's yeah. So obvious, it's hidden in
1: plain sight. But it's you know the, the the term is kind of kind of coherent around sort of a number of filmmakers working in something like a vaguely similar style, but um, was really initially coined to, dis- to describe Angela Chanelek and Christian Petzold and uh, Thomas Arslan, all of whom were uh, studied at the school under Hartmut Batonsky and her and Frokey, people like that.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because you never, when Phoenix came out, it was like, oh, this is the Berlin school guy. Hey, everybody, let's get excited. But now that Griesbach is sort of making the rounds internationally, it's like, hey, she's also connected to that thing. So is this more of like a marketing term or is it actually useful to think of her films in relation to somebody like Shanilek or Arslan?
2: I think like a lot of these terms, it's useful and also not useful. I mean, it's like it's also obviously reductive. And and I think the thing about the Berlin School as a term is that it has possibly outlived its usefulness because it's been around for so long. I think the three filmmakers that Leo mentioned—Petzold, Schneerlack, and Arslan—started working in the 1990s, um, and so now you can I think trace like subsequent generations, a second, a third generation, you know, iteration of of this school. Um I think it is misleading to think that these are filmmakers who it's it's not it you know, it's not a movement that that has ever come up with a manifesto or anything like that. It's not like Dogma ninety five. But I, I I think it's fair to say that they are there are overlapping interests and sort of points of contact and and, and there's certainly a collection of like minded filmmakers um at work in contemporary German cinema.
3: When I when I think about the Berlin School now, what's most striking for me is how different uh, the various filmmakers' uh, bodies of work actually are. Like I I find the differences between like the recent Angela Schenalek film or something like Tony Erdmann. You know, we haven't mentioned Mar yet. Those differences are super profound. So it seems like whatever the Berlin School might be, it's pr- it could probably be uh, uh, negatively uh, defined uh, as much by what. Distinguishes these filmmakers uh, from one another.
0: And so in his feature, Hayden Guest refers to Valeska Griesbach's radical observation technique, where she sort of embeds herself in these communities inside and sometimes outside Germany. Can we sort of move into her filmography and its characteristics, how it's sort of evolved over the years?
3: Well, when Western premiered at Cannes last year, I, th- I think uh, a lot of people we're struck by how long the gap was between uh, it and longing uh, her previous film, uh, which was what, about a decade? Yeah. 11 years. And on the one hand that has to do with uh, her wanting to do other things than uh, just directing her own films like teaching. And I think she had a kid during that, during that period, but, um, but it's also a function of her working methods where if she has, if there's some kind of documentary streak in her work, I think it's really, it's really in the the sort of the research she does and the way that she um, spends years uh, cultivating relationships with the uh, communities that she's going to uh, portray in the films, finding actors and uh, developing uh, relationships with them. And uh, I think, especially in Western, that's It's quite palpable the way that she um, films uh, the various uh, men in the film um, is clearly uh, substantiated by like a somewhat long shared history. Mm -hmm.
1: And I mean, I think that that observational style ties her in with um, these other filmmakers uh, pretty well, even if some of the filmmakers like Shanilek. You know, really hate the term, you know, Berlin School, or, or rejected in some, in some more or less explicit way. You know, this kind of emphasis on, uh, on long takes, on, uh, on a kind of, um, uh, a kind of a kind of minimalist sort of, uh, even occasionally affectless, uh, kind of um, tone.
0: I don't know if you feel like Western is affectless because I feel like Western is actually a very Sweet and emotional movie, sure. Because we've come to have certain expectations with certain aesthetics that there is going to be maybe a more detached approach. And in fact, it's a very warm and inviting. I mean, I was always surprised by how close you feel to these people. There's no, there's never a sense of, let's say, ethnographic impulse or the classical ethnographic impulse.
2: I agree. I mean, in in that. Valeska's films, especially, and I think *Longing* is like really a masterpiece and like a totally devastating experience. But mm-hmm. there is definitely a, a, a sense of withholding in the films, and is like you know, this—it's not so much that the affect is is muted, but like there's uh, what's left out of the narrative in all her films is really interesting. I think how her films are structured and edited are extremely interesting. I think yeah. she's an absolute master of like narrative ellipses, like the the things that are left out of her films. Are critical and they're often structured around that you know especially in longing which centers on this like um extramarital affair which you never see um you know and and which is like this sort of hole in the middle of the narrative and similarly in 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 western it takes a while to figure out you know and i think it's this is an interesting tension i think in a lot of the berlin school films too the way they use like extreme they use extreme precision to create like a very productive and interesting ambiguity because like, you never really know what is motivating the characters in Western. You never really know like, whether they're telling the truth when they talk about their you know, backstories and biographies. Um, and it takes a while for, for everything to come to, to come into focus. And I think they're really like, artfully constructed films.
1: The film scholar Marco Abel referred to this as a representational realism, which is a really hard thing <laughs> to pin down. But mm-hmm. uh, what you might think about that, I mean, is it just it, you might think of it as something, somebody who's working in a kind of realist mode after people like Kiarostami and others had maybe exhausted the the realism as this kind of just sort of social realist uh, project. Mm
2: -hmm. I think there are instead of maybe neo neo-realist and they're kind of like meta-realist films in a way i think they're sort of films that explicitly engage like the question of like what realism is and 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 how to deal with realism as a style you know and i think that's what a lot of these films have in in common and there're many ways of doing that and i think that is one thing that ties these filmmakers together it's often been i think maybe a little bit misleadingly described as like a a school of realism you know which is a pretty reductive way um but they certainly are like in many ways, realist films, minimalist films, and a large part of it um, had to do with what they were defining themselves against, like all schools, I mean, you know, from the new wave on, it's just, they were, Petzold, Shanleck and Arslan, who were all at the DFFB around the same time, were were sort of pushing against uh, the contemporary German cinema of the time, which was much, you know, defined by more bloated mainstream films Tom um, Twyker yeah well you know and <laughs> b- even before that but yeah. like official views of history and mm-hmm. kind of like more escapist sort of mainstream fare so th- there's a sense that these are like de-dramatized films yeah. in, a, in a way but th- I, I, I think it's misleading to think of these films as, as realist I mean there's like a real interest in narrative in artifice in genre I mean I think that's what ties a lot of these filmmakers together too. Yeah. very explicitly engaging with classic Hollywood I mean um, yeah. which, which Griesbach does in, in Western, obviously, <laughs> as the title announces. But many of these filmmakers, too. I think Petzold very clearly riffs on um, classic Hollywood in his
3: films. One thing that I think of when I think of the Berlin schools is kind of it's a very cinephilic uh, cinema, but mm. without necessarily being uh, referential in the same way that like the Nouvelle Vague was. And I think that's quite clear, like in the films of Christian Petzold, but it's it's very palpable in across uh, Valeska Grisbach's uh, three films. At last year's Viennale, she was the subject of a you know, full career, three film uh, retrospective. But she also uh, picked um, three films, uh, one each for her f- three features. And I thought the the points of, ex- you know, exchange between those six films was was really uh, profound. So for her first film, uh, Be My Star, mein Stern, she uh, picked uh, Maurice Piala's "Pastel uh, uh, Paston Back d'Abor, Um and for, for Longing, she picked uh, Milos Forman's uh, Loves of the Blonde. And for Western, she picked Henry King's The Gunfighter, much slept on, uh, completely uh, amazing and similarly elemental Western. And yeah, those are three choices that uh, someone who's not thought a great deal about the history of cinema and how that relates to Questions of realism and how to make a film today. Uh, those are three selections that uh, someone who hadn't thought about those things wouldn't have made.
0: Right? Could you talk about the interactions between the gunfighter and western? Because I think, again, like you're saying, this is a very um, this is a very thoughtful choice.
3: I think what she was proposing wasn't so much that like the that western. Borrows from the gunfighter, but that there are there're just some kind of resonances uh there It's a film that that she'd seen, but she told me she never seen it like you know properly in a cinema in part that motivated her her choice to to program it at the vienale it's maybe it has something to do with uh this kind of like recurrent trope in in the western of a man who's kind of out of place you know, whether because he's like an outlaw or he's among outlaws or he's like a lawman among outlaws. And to some extent that rhymes with the, the kind of the main dramatic tension in Western with, um, with these German guys kind of in, themselves embedding within a Bulgarian uh, village community uh, to work on a, a construction project where uh, they're clearly not welcome there. And uh, it's sort of, you know, it raises this like this globalization question about, well, yeah.
0: Yeah, not even that, not just that they, maybe they don't want, they shouldn't, they aren't wanted by the locals, but that there are no locals working on this team and that yeah. what they're actually trying to build may not even function. Like it's it's supposed to be a hydroelectric dam and there is sort of like this lever that activate sort of splits the... What are clearly limited water resources between three villages, so it's it's like it's a very stacked deck.
3: Yeah, and in, well, in in the case of the gunfighter, uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, the main character's name. The gunfighter. gunfighter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Gregory Peck character is he kind of like occupies well of course he occupies quite a different function than the the german laborers in western do but in that film he's a kind of notorious outlaw who of course as it turns out is like a a a moral this moral guy with like a heart of gold who only like shoots people when they try to kill him Mm -hmm. um but it's but it's also it's also just about like the way that his kind of reputation, the figure he cuts uh, impacts this community that kind of doesn't doesn't want him. And maybe that's similar to Western with the German laborers taking work that could be performed by the Bulgarian uh, locals.
0: Yeah. I mean, one one scene that leaps to my mind is the foreman of the site who is put against or is sort of maybe uh, Meinhard's antagonist or his homebound antagonist in the film. He gets a phone call from his wife or girlfriend. We don't really know who's calling. And we hear his side of the conversation about he's like, oh, but you want to get a new you want to get an apartment on your own. Have you found someone else? And he's facing away from the camera. You never see his face, but you can project this devastation or whatever. And it's it's it would be tempting to say like, oh, she's just covering up the fact that this guy is a non-professional and he can't act. But you can hear in his voice what he's really bringing to these little snippets and threads of what is clearly this huge drama in this man's life.
2: And that kind of rhymes with the amazing scene in Longing, too, mm-hmm. where like the guy is... This is just before he has this one-night stand, like where he's like dancing at this party, and like a lot of it is shot with his back to the camera, um, and um, it's it's very it's I think it's very suggestive, and I think they're amazing, you know how she find the, the when you hear her talk about the process, what you were saying, her insistence on working with non-actors is I think, maybe like what Dan was saying is the most interesting documentary aspect um, of, of her films.
0: Mm-hmm. Western is a New York Times critic's pick german director valeska griesbach has crafted a distinctly european take on this most american of genres see it today only at the film society of lincoln center
3: of course bears mentioning that all three of her films have at least one
1: completely amazing dance uh (laughs) scene um i think but i think that um where you're sort of putting your finger on dennis the the sort of the precision in the service of ambiguity is something actually very interesting and i'm just sort of c- kind of connecting it a little bit to to someone like uh, angela chanelak's work which is very much in uh, i mean it's very clearly kind of uh, indebted and she's been explicit about this indebted to bresson's films but you know where bresson is using sort of reduction and minimalism to be very precise and in 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 meanings and, and even 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 to the point of kind of um uh, a kind of certainly a certain a certain kind of affectlessness even uh, you know, even if it is, is rich with uh, implication you know um Channel X films are are very hard to f- sort of I don't I wouldn't say they're hard to follow but they're hard to they, they really open up this kind of uh, uncertainty uh, about character motivation about what's what even is sort of the pr- pr- procession of events it's a, a little bit less I think less so in Grisebach's films but but I think that they they nonetheless you know create a kind of generative space in 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 in, in the way that you were suggesting mm-hmm.
0: And can we talk about this casting process? Because the actor who plays Meinhardt, also named Meinhardt, he's so incredible looking. First of all, he has just an incredible craggy face. And so much of this film is set in these rocky mountains of Bulgaria. And you see him at one point learning how to say face in Bulgarian and then touching the face of a rock and realizing a human face is the same as face of the rock and building this little... um, wall with bulgarians how does her casting process work because this is such a i mean i don't know if it's it's just like in so many films be they american hollywood films or you know maybe more obscure art house films so few great faces
3: i personally can't speak definitively on on how she goes about it but fleska griesbach just saw that guy at a market (laughs) <laughs> and asked him, asked him you if he wanted to be, a wanted, to be in a, wanted to be in a film. Um,
0: <laughs> she said, "Be my star," and he said, "Yes." <laughs>
3: I think she just, you know, I I think uh, just in the, if I could speculate, uh, just in the perhaps just in the course of like familiarizing herself herself with these with these milieu and um, and these areas, I think she just encounters people who she finds visually or personally striking, and asks them to be in the film.
2: I think there's a interview aspect to the pr- the process as well. I think she talks to a lot of people, and it's 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 obvious with this film, of, you know, a, a, which finds her like working in Bulgaria, a place she didn't know that well. So obviously, she had to familiarize herself with with a lot of you know many aspects of 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 this particular place. But like her previous films were, were set in Germany. I think the first one was set in, in Berlin. The other one was set in rural uh, Germany. Uh, even those films, uh, she just spent a lot of time in in, in those environments, meeting meeting people uh, and talking to them, and I think a lot of these people ha- are, the characters were probably shaped based on who she who she casts. So it's um, she talks about it as a very very long, gradual sort of intuitive process.
1: And this comes through I think in the film too the, so much of the film is about his interactions with the people who live in the village, his, making friends sort of uh, in a way that that his 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 colleagues uh, his German colleagues do not. And so much of the film kind of comes through in these sort of strange interactions where I mean I think it's it's really interesting in a film to see characters speaking to each other who and, and not understanding each other. I mean so much of what he's saying to them. Many of the films I should say about in the Berlin school are, are actually you know, kind of have this emphasis on German, you know, language in particular. Um, but this is an interesting film in which, you know, the, 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 the German language is sort of, you know, mostly useless, uh, and mostly, mostly is kind of a, a part of their kind of like the more insular culture of the German workers. But so much of the film comes comes through when he sort of starts interacting with the people around him in, in, a, in a much more kind of open way
0: and just that it's touching on what it means to travel that you know when you do to go to a foreign country and you don't speak the language sometimes it you know communication becomes this very rudimentary tool and then you're forced to rely on gesture which is again lends itself to cinema over you know other art forms but it's just so it is we do exist in this privileged position where we can understand you know the subtitles tell us everything but they have no idea they just have to Fumble around. And it's interesting to see the friction between what's actually being said and what is assumed being said. I'm thinking specifically of when this Bulgarian guy comes to the German campsite and is trying to sell them cheaper uh, gravel. And they just assume that it's like black market gravel and that they have the worst of intentions and that this guy is like a mafia boss or something. And some things that had been simmering under the surface, you know, there's a reason why these guys aren't going out into the village like Meinhardt is. And it's largely because they see themselves as superior to these people.
1: Or the scene in which, um, I mean, uh, in which Meinhard is is having a sort of more heartfelt conversation with his new friend Adrian, and they don't mm-hmm. n- understand each other for the most part. Uh, they're, they don't understand each other's language, but they're sort of able to communicate in a certain kind of direct way, mostly through kind of observation of each other's faces. Again, I mean, yeah. and 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 I think that that. Um, that scene is particularly interesting because, of course, you know we could say, and again, you know, kind of hinting back at the, the title and its sort of re- relationship to the kind of American Western that Meinhard is sort of a type, right? He's kind mm-hmm. of a kind of, you know, craggy, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, stone face uh, uh, um, kind of character type. But I think it's a, the, a lot of the film is really about sort of like looking beyond or kind of complicating those um, those kinds of that sort of typecasting.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I was just thinking that on the the sort of linguistic question on the one hand there is like the drama throughout the film grows out of the the dissonance there no one understanding what anyone else is saying but but also i meinhard is the only german in the film who bothers to learn some some bulgarian phrases it's Mm -hmm. kind of a necessity um for him to be able to Get along with these uh, people who his new friends, you know. And to that degree, he's a little bit of uh, Valeska's on-screen surrogate. Uh, mm-hmm. she be, you know, kind of mirrors her her way of immersing herself uh, in in a milieu. Um, she, I, if she didn't teach herself Bulgarian, some Bulgarian, in advance of making the film, she's learning it now. Um, so. Yeah, it's, I, it is interesting that she would, uh, you know, that she would um, seemingly identify with uh, with this this very like like Leo was saying like rugged, craggy, uh, possible former legionnaire uh, mm-hmm. guy.
0: Yeah. No. And I love that this is a movie by a woman looking at a group of mostly men, and that the first interaction that these men have with a group of women is. Totally terrifying to the women and that they just have no concept of how utterly creepy <laughs> they are and it's how much of a violation it is. And they, 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 the, the guys just see it as this playing thing. But because it is shot from this distance, you see like, it's like, oh, my God, you know, what must these women they must be terrified right now. So I, I do love that, that, you know, even though there's not necessarily like an explicit gender critique, it's definitely there. And it's, it is um, again, it's it's through these careful things like ellipses and jump cuts and this formal precision and narrative precision.
3: And that but that scene also uh functions to do something that I always admire in films, but it's not very fashionable, which is it sets up like a proper villain yes in the film <laughs> <laughs> that guy like I think yeah, and um
0: the foreman, yeah yeah,
3: yeah and that of course uh that it gets also-
2: more becomes more complicated after that though mm-hmm. I don't think yeah, he just sure. remains the villain of the the film and his mm-hmm. character also he seems sad by the end of the film, you know more than more than villainous
1: mm-hmm
3: I guess Better Sad Than Dead, which would be the (laughs) the fate of the equivalent figure in like a, you know, classical Western...
0: Yeah,
1: right. And of course, the film doesn't set up. I mean, you know, you, you, one sort of imagines that the film is kind of setting up a kind of contrast between like the the sort of like boorish, uh, you know, um, kind of gropy Germans and the and the sort of essential raw, you know, nice, uh, uh, um, simple villagers. But you know, of course, that that becomes much more complicated as the film goes on as well. And yes, indeed, you know, like he's he's sort of a he's sort of a, a villain character mainly because he sort of positions himself in opposition to Meinhardt, But nor are like the, the the sort of Bulgarian. And kind of local people all sort of uniformly you know sort of pleasant and uh, and 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 accepting and uh, like happy to you know happy to make friends
0: yeah are there other ways that that griesbach is interestingly playing with the genre
3: certainly her way with landscape mm-hmm. in the film which is that was also present in longing as a function of where where that film was set but you know her first film be my star is very like very urban it's about interiors and par- apartments and like the back room of a bakery and, and this kind of stuff and her films have progressively opened up and uh, until we arrive at western where it's like it's uh, it's really blossomed into like into something that does uh i in my mind resemble a classical western approach to shooting a landscape
1: I mean, in that sense, the the concept of the frontier, which in this sense is really, really complicated in kind of comparison with the history of American genocide and, you know, thinking about that in terms of histories of of Nazi occupation, which comes up in the film, and of, of landscape as, as home, which is a very complicated concept in German uh, culture and cinema in particular. And the way that that comes through, I think, again, it's a sort of interesting way of of using, um, of, of kind of internalizing the tropes of genre into a something like a kind of um, a kind of realist aesthetic, but one that is is, is cognizant of its kind of relationship to uh, other forms of media and image making.
0: Yeah, and I mean that you know. In certain parts of Eastern Europe, the European Union is seen as this occupying force, Bulgaria shares a border with Greece, and the economic crisis there and how the European Union, particularly Germany, because it's, you know, Germany usually takes the lead. Uh, the way that sort of played out, again, it, you know, that's also looming in this history as, as a more recent version. And there's even a part of the movie where the German crew says, yeah, we're back. We're back in Bulgaria, you know, because it was occupied by Nazis. So. Right. And it's <laughs> and it,
1: what I think is especially interesting in that regard is it's not framed as, you know, the American Western, like, you know, taming the the, the savage country. But of kind of building infrastructure, mm-hmm. which is its own kind of form of of, of sort of frontier conquering and kind civilizing, of
0: civilizing. Exactly, civilize.
1: Yeah. You know, and which which I also thought was interesting as a kind of connection with uh, this also comes up in Tony Urban this kind of relationship to like infrastructure building uh, uh, in in the sort of uh, peripheral uh,
0: uh, uh, countries. In that case. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's
2: interesting to hear. Griesbach talk about it. She she doesn't talk about this film as it's not like she backed into it. Like that she realized she was making a western. She start, that was the starting point for her. She wanted to to make a modern western. She wanted to re to engage with the genre and to think about how she could play with the genre today. Which is why I think it's such an intelligent. Update. I think you know. Your question was like, in what ways does it update in the Western? It's like, it's almost in almost every conceivable way. I mean, the mm-hmm. film is filled with like genre tropes and symbols that are like very carefully tweaked. Um, yeah. From the horse yes. to the flag to the you know the 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 female character, you know, and how she is positioned in relation to the male um, pr- protagonists. Um, and I think this again comes back to this this interest in in narrative, which is true of I think her other films too. Like longing unfolds as a more or less straightforward story, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that it had the film has a like a totally inspired coda at the very end, where 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 you know you you have these where suddenly this, the story ends and it cuts to um, a group of like children who are talking about the story that you've just seen. So sort of reframing the narrative entirely and sort of like turning into like a kind of fable or fairy tale almost. And I think this interest in genre, which as we've said, you know, you see in Petzold, Arslan, and, and so many of these other filmmakers, has to do with like this sort of meta-narrative interest of these films. They're, these are films about She's engaging with 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 genre um you know with this template because I, I think she's trying to figure out, like like Petzl and like other, all these other filmmakers, how narratives really are representations of help us understand the world or fail to. You know, and I think that's 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 one reason she's she's working with genre here.
0: Yeah. And I mean the end of longing is also very similar to the end of Taste of Cherry, where there is this documentary or documentary-like footage. And there's no, you think it's sort of tossed up to this outside source instead of the characters or the filmmaker, it seems like the resolution of the story is being handed over to someone else. In the case of Tey Cherry, you could argue that it's the soldiers, it's the Iranian government that have sort of taken control of what happens to Mr. Body and and longing. It's this group of children. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's incredible but
3: a couple other western tropes that appear in western uh just your faves (laughs) two of my favorites are (laughs) uh there are like there are multiple showdowns Mm. in the film um very like a very like contemporary take on the showdown i should add like (laughs) in the middle of the night and there's also like a saloon type place the place where meinhard um tries to buy cigarettes and and eventually he ingratiates himself to the to the ownership and uh, it's the I guess it's like the only place in town to hydrate because there isn't much water and they, they just yes. drink beer
0: <laughs> or that, so. the, that uh, weird like super strong liquor yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sarsaparilla, um, <laughs> the equivalent. But,
1: and the apprenticeship with the younger, you know, the younger character who's like the sort of—I don't know—I'm I'm trying to think of a think of an analog in a in a western, but there are probably a million of them.
0: There's always like a teenage boy around,
1: right? Who's right. Always, he's like ready to he needs carry to learn the, the ropes?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except for this time, he's literally showing this older guy the ropes. Right. I'm like this is how you handle a horse. But speaking of Maranade, she's she seems to have a very similar working approach where. Tony Erdmann took many, many years to complete because you know she was following around consultants at these big multinational firms and sort of embedding herself that way. Um, and she's a producer on this. Do you see sort of more um, close relationships between her work and Greasebox? I mean,
2: I think they're very different sensibilities. Um, I, I do think that maybe in their earlier films, there's like there's this maybe a little the affinities are a little more apparent. Um, maybe like. Ada's early, like Forest with for the Trees, you know, um, and maybe Greasebox earlier films. But um, I, I don't know if I see that many.
3: I think Martin Ada is more interested in in like in professional actors, like working, working mm-hmm. with professional actors and Feleska Greasebox interest in performance kind of seems to move in the opposite, in the opposite direction.
0: Before we end, uh, it would be great if each of us went around and talked about a film that we've seen recently that we liked. Well, I saw The Black and the Green, which is a a documentary by St. Clair Bourne. Uh, It is set, it is about a group of black activists, some people who worked with, worked and walked with Martin Luther King Jr., different activists uh, black activists going over to Northern Ireland and seeing the situation there. And obviously, you know, these are again, because these are people who really cut their teeth in activism during the sixties, they're very committed to nonviolence. And so much of the film is about them Understanding how the similarities between the Irish, Northern Irish situation and, say, the situation in the southern United States uh, during Jim, in the Jim Crow South. But then also um, how the Irish have, you know, how there was this sort of turn towards violence and what the and being torn about that and really being like, well, I'm committed to nonviolence. Lot and really, you know, talking through those feelings and struggling with it. And it's just a fascinating and super rainy and cold document of a time gone by. And obviously, St. Clairborne is a great, a great documentarian who shifted his approach throughout his career in an interesting way. So highly recommend it.
3: We, we had a screening here at the Film Society the other night of the, um, sort of little known, uh, uh, Rollo Ruiz film uh, "Fado, Major and Minor" nineteen ninety four. Its re- exhibition release history was a bit troubled due to some rights issues, and I I've gotten the sense that uh, of the kind of like relatively big Ruiz films of the nineties, it's the least well known. Uh, and we we screened it on a very handsome thirty five millimeter print here the other night, and yeah, it's it's just like. It's it's uh, the usual usual uh, cocktail of Ruizian insanity, and uh, it was great. Yeah.
1: I just saw uh, Lana Lin's new uh, video about. We were talking about Freud earlier, uh, actually, and uh, and it's about. It's called After Engelman, and it's about um, uh, these sort of. It uses these photographs of the of of Freud's uh, apartment after he vacated it for fleeing the Nazis. Actually, kind of is a comparison of the two Freud museums: the one in London and and, and the one in Vienna. And it's a uh, very nice film. Uh, since Dan took
2: mine, um, <laughs> no, uh,
1: I uh, I'll talk about this.
2: This Chinese film that's premiering in Berlin uh, in a few days called An Elephant Sitting Still. It's a, it's a nearly four-hour film, and it is, I think, one of the most remarkable first films I've seen in a long time. Uh, it's reminiscent in some ways of work by early Jajanka, like a multi-character piece. Pretty, very bleak, very confident first film. Um, very sadly, also um, a last film because the filmmaker who was only 29, um, killed himself um, shortly after completing it. Uh, But the premiere is going to be in Berlin. Uh, It's a pretty remarkable film, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing it on the big screen.
0: Hmm. All right, well, dankeschön. And thank you. In English.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. In Bulgarian. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Ripold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine, or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, and Kindle at filmcomet.com slash app. Variety's Guy Lodge says of Western, quote, There are no stagecoaches or six-shooters in this sharp, simmering drama of German-Bulgarian discord, but in the spirit of John Ford, grace is it, end quote. Western is now playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center.